Amen. But as I mentioned, we are continuing a series of lessons. I can't tell you how many it will be yet, but we are looking at the subject of constants and variables. And in our first lesson in this series two weeks ago, we, we did a little bit of mathematics, you may remember. We considered some basic mathematical concepts to consider that in life there are many things that are variable or subject to change. And we talked a little bit about extremely basic algebra using X's and Y's because we didn't want, this is not high school. But we, we, we use that as an example of the fact that there are things, many things in life that are subject to influence by environment and, and popular culture and are constantly uh, changing and modifying in our world around us. We also established that the Lord himself is the only genuine constant and that he does not change, he remains the same. And that's what Hebrews 13 and 8 says. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen. Bless the Lord. And so recognizing that the world that we live in is an ever-changing environment, the Word of God, if we want to be Christians, if we want to serve the Lord and please God, the Word of God needs to be our foundation. It needs to be the platform that we use to measure and identify and face the challenges of the world in which we live. And the more constants or things that do not change, the more things that are constant in our lives that we put in place in our lives, the better we are equipped to handle those things that are variable. That was the basic principle we established in the first lesson, is that even in mathematics, at least in a general sense, the more constants you have, the more things you know the value of, the more equipped you are to deal with the things that are going up and down and changing all the time. Israel in the Old Testament got themselves into all kinds of trouble when they decided to change constants that God gave them into variables. When the Lord said, this is supposed to be how it is, it's supposed to stay that way, and they said, we'd like to change it, they got themselves into all kinds of trouble. They, they worshipped idols when the Lord specifically said, you'll only worship me and you won't have idols. And they said, well, God gave that to us as a constant, but we're going to make that a variable. And they introduced Baal and Molech and, and all these other gods from the nations around about them. And the outcome of that decision was very costly. They paid a great price as a nation and as individuals. Now, constants... Things that are constant in the life of a Christian. This, this lesson is a little bit like a second platform from the first lesson, so I don't know how specific we'll get today. But constants in the life of a Christian come from two primary sources in the Word of God. They come from commandments and principles. That's where we get our measuring points from in the Scripture. Now, to understand the difference, a commandment, is usually or often something that the Word of God specifically addresses in detail that says this is what you do or this is what you don't do. very simple example of that from the Old Testament is when the Scripture says that thou shalt not steal. It's a directive. It's, it's not open for discussion. It just says you're not supposed to steal. That's a commandment. It's not something the Lord is asking for our opinion about. He's not making a suggestion. He's saying if you want to please me, you don't steal. That's a direct commandment. That's very easy to explain. But then there are other commandments in the Word of God that are just as strong, but we have to work at applying them and doing so in a fashion that pleases the Lord. So if you go to Mark 12, we've been here recently in the ministry. 
Mark chapter 12 and verses 29 through to 31. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture to commit to memory if you're in the habit of committing Scripture to memory. There's a lot worse things you could memorize than the Word of God. Some people are blessed with good memories. Some people it's more of a forgettery than a memory. But Mark 12 and 29 says, And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now, the Bible specifically describes these two instructions as commandments. In fact, it basically says they're number one and number two. They're at the top, and in one of the Gospels, it tells us that on those two commandments, that all of the law and the prophets hang, and they all are covered by the fulfillment of those two commandments. But our obedience to those commandments is ongoing in its development. Our relationship with God grows, it matures. Our understanding of the Word of God grows and matures, and such things as the fruit of the Spirit grow in our lives as we grow with God. And so while they are commandments that are just as strong as thou shalt not steal, our obedience to them is an ongoing process. Uh, As we walk with the Lord and we submit ourselves to His Word and His Spirit, Galatians talks to us about the fruit of the Spirit, such things as love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, long-suffering, meekness, faith, and temperance, and those things have to grow. And those things are a part of our relationship with others and with God. So the, the, obe- the obeying and the keeping of this commandment is progressive. It continues and it should be something that we should be regularly desiring and endeavoring to obey in our lives. It's not quite as simple as thou shalt not steal. If you're a Christian, you want to please the Lord and the Lord says you don't steal, you don't steal. It's not something that requires advanced understanding. If it doesn't belong to you, don't take it. But loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves, develops and grows in us. So there are some commandments that aren't necessarily as instantaneous as thou shalt not steal. There, and then there are some instructions, or we would say principles, that the Word of God gives us that are not as specific in their application. I'm going to read these. You can get the Scriptures later if you want. But Matthew chapter 6 And verse 22 tells us that the light of the body is the eye. If therefore that eye be single, then whole body shall be full of light. Psalms 101 and verse 3, the psalmist said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. The 119th Psalm, 37th verse, the psalmist said, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. Philippians 4 and 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And this is just a small selection, but these verses speak to us about the things that we choose to look at, the things that we choose to think about. But they don't give us a list of details. It doesn't say, don't look at this, don't look at that, don't think about this. It's a principle that we are instructed to apply. And so as Christians, we have to take the principle of the Scriptures and apply them to our current environment. Now, when the psalmist in the Old Testament 
and the writers of the New Testament were writing these verses under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, they had no idea, not even a clue, what kind of mass media you and I would be faced with in 2015. They had no idea about movies and internet and mobile phones and, and computers and, and on and on. That was, that was, they didn't have any of that. They didn't even have telegrams. If you wanted to get to the next town, you either if you had a bit of money, you might have rode a donkey or you usually walked. If you wanted to go and tell somebody in the next town something, you walked to the next town to tell them. No SMS, no Snapchat, no any of that kind of stuff that was going on. And so when they wrote these things to us, it is up to us in the present day to take the principle from the Scripture and to make a constant in our lives that we use as a guide, that we use to give us direction and to guide us as we walk with the Lord, to use it as a reference point. Now, I use those Scriptures because they're very easy to demonstrate what I'm talking about. See, if the Scripture says that I should think about good things, that if I need to be careful what I put before my eyes, that if, that if the Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart, that's the kind of man he's becoming, if, it's, if the Bible warns us against lust, then we can take these principles and we can put a constant in our lives that might look something like this. I'm going to decide that in my life I will not view any form of media that involves sexual immorality or nudity. Now, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not watch movies that have naked people in them. There's no specific commandment. But the principle taken from the Word of God and made a constant in our lives will help to protect us from those things. So that's the difference between a commandment and a principle. That's the difference between the two. Amen. So if I place that constant in my life, then any form of media that I happen to have an opportunity to view has to be measured against that constant. And if I hold it up against that constant and it doesn't meet the, rec the prerequisites, I need to discard it. That's how you put a constant in your life. But if you take that constant and you make it a variable or it's, it's flexible depending on where you are and who you're with, then it is highly likely that you will compromise on the principle because there's no consistency in its application. And the constants, when we do this as Christians, the constants that we choose to place in our lives basically serve one of two purposes. There are two main purposes for constants in the Christian's life. One is that they assist, and this is the primary purpose, they assist in strengthening our relationship with God. When you make decisions about some of the things that are going to be constant in your life, they should help you in your relationship with God. When you make a decision that you're going to have a regular time of prayer, Sister Nari used the word appointment. I think that's a good expression. When we make an appointment, with God, that this is going to be my prayer time, and we make that a constant that will help our relationship with God. When we make a decision and a constant in our lives that I'm going to spend time in His Word, reading the Word of God, allowing it to speak to me, studying the Word of God, looking into the Word of God. If you're doing a bread Bible program, if you're reading those bread Bibles that we got at the start of the year, that's fantastic, but that's very foundational. You need to take it above and beyond that as well. You need to look into the Word of God, understand what you believe and why you believe it. That's another constant that will help you walk with God. Being in God's house is a constant that helps our walk with God. Amen. 
being a worshiper. You can decide to put that constant in your life. I am going to be a worshiper. When I feel like it, when I don't feel like it. When they sing the songs I like, when they sing the songs I don't like. When whatever, whatever, because there are always going to be variables. How you feel when you come through the door. What kind of week you've had. What somebody says to you when you come into the church. You come to church and somebody might say, you've put on weight. That might not make you feel like worshiping. And if you said that to somebody this morning, you may need to go and apologize. But there's a lot of variables that can affect our worship if it's not a constant. But if I decide that whatever's going on in my day and my week and my life, I'm going to lift my hands, I'm going to lift my voice, I'm going to shout unto God with a voice of triumph, that is going to help my relationship with God because I made it a constant. Amen. There are, there's plenty of others. There's... there's Principles all through the New Testament we could consider. But these things, the constants that we choose in these areas, because really you make the decision what's going to be constant in your life. It's completely up to you. God can't force it. I can't force it. Your parents can't force it. Well, they maybe can to a certain degree. They can make sure you come to the house of the Lord. But ultimately you decide what things are established in my life and what things aren't. And if we will do these things, they will help us in our walk with God. They help us to grow in grace, and they help us to know Him more. That's the first reason to have, for having constants in our lives. The second group or the second reason we have constants to put in place is to protect our relationship with God. Galatians chapter 5, if you want to turn there, please. Galatians 5 and 16. These are subjects that we go over fairly regularly, but it, because of the world that we live in and the age we live in, we need to know who we are. We need to know where we are. We need to know where we're going. Amen. The Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, starting at verse 16, says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. There's a war going on. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, or they're, they're displayed, they're revealed. This is what they are. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So we're in good company with the Apostle Paul if we're repeating the same things. He said, I've told you before, I'm going to tell you again. This is where it's at. Now, I'm not going to go through the meaning of all of these words today for the sake of time, but this list of the works of the flesh is composed of the actions and attitudes, remembering that happens in the heart and mind before it's ever acted out, that our sinful nature naturally produces. We don't like to think about that, but they, the, the capacity for all of those things is resident in each of us. Now, before we were born again, we weren't all of those things, but I imagine we could probably tick at least one box on the list. Bless the Lord. But that is a list of the things that our sinful nature naturally produces, and these are the sins 
that we have been saved from by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we thank him for that today. And if we're going to go to heaven, as the Apostle Paul said in verse 21, we need to do all that we can by the power of the Holy Ghost to keep these things out of our lives. And so to do that, if we are wise, we will place some constants in our lives to protect us from these things. Remembering the first reason for constants is to help our relationship with God. The second reason is to protect our relationship with God. You know, the list, the list in Galatians 5 already contains several forms of immorality, and we've already considered that briefly. But another easy example from this list of things that none of us want to be associated with is witchcraft. Witchcraft. Now, witchcraft comes in a whole variety of forms and fashions. And it's not always a lady in a, a black dress with a black pointy hat and a broom and a wart in a nose and a black cat and a big cauldron. Witchcraft, that's the, that's the cartoon version of a witch. But people that are involved in witchcraft are involved in some form of spiritualism that they are entertaining and joining themselves with spiritual powers and forces that are not of God. And so it comes in a whole bunch of categories. And man has always found new ways to become sinful and twisted. But as a Christian, if this is one of the things that is listed as a work of the flesh, I would be very wise and you would be very wise to put a constant in your life that makes a statement something like this, I will have nothing to do with any activity that has a questionable spiritual foundation. You can put that constant and you say, that's how I measure things. That's one of the constants. And why? To protect my relationship with God. Because I'm in a spiritual relationship with God that does not need to be diluted, confused, or attacked by any other form of spirit. And we could write a long list, but in houses there are tarot cards, there are fortune tellers, there's spiritualism. There's So much of popular media has a spiritual foundation. So much of the popular books, the popular films have a very dark spiritual context. And we think, well, they're harmless. When you look into such things as the Twilight series, and they're almost out of date now, but, but so much of popular entertainment is not just sinful, but it is of a dark spiritual nature. As parents, we need to take great care what we allow our children to pour into their minds and their spirits. And so if we are going to be wise as Christians, we should be putting that constant in our lives that says anything that appears to have a spiritual connotation to it is not coming in my house, my life, my home. Now, if some of you, some of you have kids that are, that are voracious readers and being a, a, a good reader is a great thing for children. But as a parent, you have a responsibility to be careful that you are the ones that put the constant in their lives. Because no matter how bright and intelligent your kids are, they don't have the wisdom or the maturity to discern what is right and wrong. You're teaching them that as they grow. And I know with, with my own son, who used to read very, very heavily when he was younger, not, not as much now, but trying to keep up with his appetite for books. Because by the time he was 8, 9, 10 years old, he could read as well as most adults. But he didn't have the maturity that most adults have. And so you're trying to guide and to steer and to correct. And so we had a policy in our house. It was annoying sometimes, I'll be honest. But when he went to the library, any books that came home went via dad before they got read. 
I didn't read every book you brought home. I'm sorry if that's what you think I did. I don't have time to read 10 novels a week. But I would skim through, read pages here and there. And when you have the Holy Ghost, you can get a feel for something fairly quickly. And there were some times I would say to him, and this is hard when you're a kid, but I would say, I can't give you a reason, but I'm not comfortable with that book. And it would go back to the library. Why? Because there was a constant that I wanted it to be in my house and in my home. Bless the Lord. If you think that's too hard, you can pay for Matthew to have counseling afterwards. But I think he's okay for the most part. Bless the Lord. So we put these constants in our lives to protect our relationship with God. When you think about your house, you live in a house, whether you're paying off a house or renting, there are things that are in the house that are a part of your family's interaction and relationship. Your dinner table, you sit down, you have dinner together, you interact. You might have a lounge where people might sit and talk. You've got bathrooms where we go and we clean ourselves so that we're more socially acceptable to other people. It's all about relationship. But, but at the same time, those things are also a part of a structure that protects your family. There's a roof to keep the weather out. There, there are walls for security. There, there are locks on the doors. There's a balance between provision and protection. And it's exactly the same with our work with God. We have to have a balance between constants that provide for our relationship with God and constants that protect our relationship with God. Because when you miss one or the other, something is going to suffer. And we may get onto that a little bit as we go along. Bless the Lord. So I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. We've been born again of water and spirit. I want to please God. You want to please God. I want to serve the Lord. I want to stay away from sinful things. So the question then is, because we have to have some kind of practical application, where do I get my constants from? Is there a website I can go to and download the standard list of Christian constants? Is there a a book I can read? And there possibly are some books. But where, as children of God, where do we get our constants from? Where do we find the things that we should be using as a reference point? That's an important question to be able to answer. And there are three sources. I'll give you three sources this morning for things that we should be considering as the source of our constants that the Bible endorses. The first one is very easy. Direct commandments from the Scripture. If the Word of God says, thou shalt or thou shalt not, it's a constant. God says, using our example from before, you don't steal it's not flexible. It's, it's a constant. It's, it's, it's there from the Scripture unless you find a way to study the original language and find a different interpretation which allows you to bend it and twist it. It's a constant. Another commandment says that you don't lie. So if, if, the, if the Lord says you don't lie, you don't lie. The world likes to think that lies come in different colors, but lies are lies. There's no white ones, black ones, blue ones, green ones. They're all lies. Honesty is honesty. And so that's a constant. And if you, the thing is, here's the thing. Nobody can make you keep these constants. But if you want to please the Lord, that's the first level, is direct commandments from the Word of God. The second level for constants is instruction from spiritual authority. Matthew chapter 16. Not a popular concept in today's world, but it's biblical. Matthew chapter 16. 
and verse 13 says, When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elias or Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say you that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. That word simply means son of Jonah, if you're not familiar with that language. Bar is how they would say son of. So Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I will say unto thee that thou art Peter, and I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's an awful lot of teaching in those four verses, but we're not on that today. And verse 19 says, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, in biblical times and in Jewish language, particularly the concept of binding and loosing was, was, was quite common. And in verse 19, the idea of, of the apostle Peter and obviously others with him, not only Peter, having binding and loosing was that they would have authority to establish things in the church. That, that God was giving them as the leaders of the church authority to say, this is how we're going to live for God. These are the things we're going to do. These are the things we're not going to do. And that it's, it's a strong enough verse that it, it, it indicates to us that the things they did would be acknowledged in heaven. That's something to take seriously. Because it says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So God gave Peter and obviously those in, in similar position authority to, to set things up within the church. Now, it's very important. It's very important that we understand that this did not give the apostles authority to make up whatever rules they happen to feel like making. Nor does it give pastors that authority today. And everybody said, thank you, Jesus. The apostles could not simply get up one day and say, all right, I've decided today that, I don't know, uh, this is going to be a new rule. I'm the apostle, you can't argue. That's not what happened. But the people in leadership, you see, when people in leadership have authority to make up whatever rules they want to, that's how we end up with cults. Let's end up with crazy people on the news that have gathered themselves a following and they're basically a, a Messiah-type figure where their word is the word of God. And that's, that's not scriptural. Because you see, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, I'll just read this. It just says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul said that it was right for the church to follow him. But the condition of that statement was, as I follow Christ. He didn't say, follow me, do whatever I say, whatever I want. He said, as long as I'm following the Lord, and as long as I'm within the principles and the parameters of the Scripture, he said, follow me. Paul had no problem magnifying. He said, I magnify my office. He said, I am the apostle to the Gentiles. And he wasn't interested in lifting himself up, but he recognized that he had a responsibility. But it was always conditional on operating under the leadership of Jesus Christ. So anybody who tells you that they're in charge and you just have to do what they say regardless of the Bible, you need to be very careful of that situation. Another scripture to reinforce that concept is Galatians 1 and 8, where the same apostle said, But though we are an angel from heaven, 
preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. Paul said, if I come back and I change my message, because he said, us, he said, if we preach a different gospel than the one we've given you, he said, we're accursed. He said, so if I come back later on and I say, oh, well, the work, everything's changed. These are the new rules. He said, have nothing to do with it. So there is always, in the Word of God, there is always that safety catch. And the decisions that the apostles made and that pastors and leaders make today have to be within the principles of the Word of God. That's very, very important. Turn to Acts 15 with me, if you would. I wanted to show you this one more thing. Let me say this. Any pastor who has a heart for the Lord has no desire to run people's lives. In Acts chapter 15, the passage in the context tells us about what is often referred to as the first church council. I think we may have touched on this recently. But there was some, there was some debate, some disagreement about what the New Testament Christians, those that had come in from non-Jewish uh, people, about what they had to keep from the Old Testament law. And there was this confusion, toing and froing and backwards and forwards about do they have to do this? Do they have to do that? Should they be circumcised? Should they keep the food laws? Should they keep the Sabbath? Should they do all of these different things? And there was confusion. Now, it's easy for us looking back to say, well, this is obviously the answer. But what you have to remember is that in Acts 15, they had no New Testament. They only had the Old Testament. They couldn't say, well, let's go to the, see what the Apostle Paul said because the Apostle Paul hadn't written anything by this stage. So it's easy for us. It's, we can say, well, if you look at Galatians and Corinthians, it's obvious, but they didn't have Galatians and Corinthians. So the apostles and the leaders in Jerusalem who were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost had to come up with a solution. And the elders got together. They listened to different opinions about how... It, people's thoughts and feelings were on it but they did what they could to be prayerful to seek the direction from the lord and they came up with an answer and they said these are the things that we want them to keep and you can read that all in your own time so you understand what i'm talking about they said this is the things that we expect them to be in submission to and they used the authority that god gave them to make that decision now i promise you in a crowd that size there were folks that weren't happy with the decision. There were probably folks that thought there weren't enough rules. And there were probably folks that thought there was too many. That's just human nature. That's how it is. But the authority they were given, because this is what it says in Acts 15 and 28. It said, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. They came to their decision through prayer seeking after the Spirit of the Lord and discussing things as elders and put those things in place in the church as God gave them that authority. And in a New Testament context, in the 2015 context, excuse me, as pastor, I have the responsibility to consider the principles of the Word of God, to prayerfully seek the direction of God and to teach the church as a product of that not always an easy thing to do and sometimes the things that are taught are not easy to be understood and they may seem unnecessary one of the reasons for those things that are taught though is that they are based on experience that you may or may not have had yet 
They're also based on the teaching of elders along the way, and they've stood the test of time. And so we have to make a decision what we do with that. Amen. Because once those things are taught, it's then up to each of us, as I said before, as individuals, to choose whether or not we take those constants and place them in our life. When somebody teaches us, when someone that the Lord has put in that position says, well, this is the best way for us to apply this principle in 2015, right then it's up to us. Am I going to dismiss it and say, yeah, it's out of date, it's too strong, whatever, whatever, whatever? Or are we going to be willing to consider the bigger picture? Because the bigger picture is that God gives us that authority and how we respond to that is an inseparable part of our relationship with God. And so we have to look at the bigger picture in that regard. And church denominations or organizations will sometimes also have a particular application of a principle from the Word of God. There are many things. There's no such thing as a perfect organization, no such thing as a perfect denomination. They do not exist because they're a group of people that are working together. You will never get to heaven belonging to an organization or a denomination or whatever particular word you want to use for a structured group of people. That will never get you to heaven. You get to heaven by obedience, by faith to the Word of God. That's how we get to heaven. But sometimes organizations will take a particular stand on a particular issue. There have been a lot of organizations in recent months and years that are making official statements about the hot-button subject of same-sex marriage. And they are taking a position as an organization. And so that's another example of, a, of the responsibility of leadership and authority in church. Now, we're not always going to agree with those decisions. But as, as a very easy example of this, almost all churches, at least that I'm aware of, will consider the Scripture and take the position or set a constant that the use of recreational drugs is ungodly behavior. I don't know of too many churches that say, go ahead and use cocaine, go ahead and use heroin, go ahead and use all of these things that have vile, destructive consequences. I think that most churches would, would agree. Again, I can't give you a scripture that says, thou shalt not smoke dope. But I can take principles from the word of God and say, looking at this situation, this is the constant, reject the behavior. And so, but there, we can, but there, there is at least one denomination, and some of you will be familiar with who this is. I'm not interested in bashing anybody. But there's at least one denomination that has taken the position that this stance on recreational drugs includes tea and coffee because of the caffeine that is contained in those beverages. And all of you that had a cup of coffee this morning went really quiet. But that's okay. I had two. <laughs> if I had time, I might have had a third. Bless the Lord. But now, I don't agree with that point of view. I don't personally agree with the application of that principle. However, I will say this. If I was a member of that church, I would submit myself to that leadership out of respect for that authority. Now, I wouldn't necessarily agree with it, and I can promise you some mornings when I'm having a hard time waking up, I'd have a real struggle because you want that cup of coffee, and most of you know how I'm feeling. But there are principles that are applied an instruction that is based upon those principles. And it's up to us how we respond to those. But always keep in mind, it's a part of your relationship with God. And the third source, and we're hopefully, yeah, we're not too far off being done. The third source where we get our constants from is from personal convictions. Personal convictions. 
As individuals, we can sometimes have very strong feelings about a particular practice or activity. Uh, that may stem from something in our past. It may stem from an experience we've had or, an, or something in our upbringing. Now, there may not be a specific commandment in the Scripture against that activity. Um, I can't show you in the Bible that you shouldn't bungee jump. Uh, I think if you bungee jump, you're crazy. But I'm not going to... I'll tell you you're crazy, but I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'm just going to tell you you're crazy. <laughs> but but there are, there are things that we cannot find as commandments in the Scripture. And there may be things that our pastor doesn't teach us against. But we feel personally about a particular subject. And there's a lot of things that people have personal convictions about. And if you believe or you feel that it would not please God for you to be involved in a particular activity, you should honor the Lord in your convictions. If you really feel that the Lord's laid that on your heart, uh, if you feel that you shouldn't wear a particular color shirt or, or drive a particular brand of car or whatever other bizarre example I can come up with, you should honor that conviction unto the Lord because you feel that God has impressed that upon your heart. Now, where personal convictions can get messy is that we have to be very careful we don't try to force our personal convictions on other people. If I don't believe that you should drive a Mitsubishi, and I've owned two, so I'm obviously guilty, but if I don't believe that you should drive a Mitsubishi, it would be wrong for me to stand out at the gate and stop you from coming in if you drove a Mitsubishi because that's just a personal conviction. I can't support that scripturally. I can't find that. I mean, the Bible mentions accords. They're all in one accord in the book of Acts. There's a few other corny ones that we won't go into. But I cannot scripturally give you doctrine for these things. But if it's my personal conviction and I don't want to drive a Mitsubishi, that's up to me. But I'm not going to try to force that on other people. Amen. You see, if you read Romans chapter 14, and we won't for the sake of time, but Romans 14 teaches us on this exact subject. It teaches us about respecting one another's convictions, about not forcing our own convictions on each other, and about not being a stumbling block for one another. Now, there are different opinions amongst some people about such things as the food laws from the Old Testament. You take the law of Moses that was given in Exodus and Leviticus, and, and there were some very explicit things that they were allowed to eat and things they weren't allowed to eat. Now, I would suggest the New Testament clearly shows us that those laws don't apply to the New Testament church. But if you feel strongly that we shouldn't eat bacon, I'm not going to try and make you eat bacon. Not only that, if you come to my house for breakfast, I'm not going to cook you bacon because I don't want to be a stumbling block. Now, I might wait till you go and then finally they've gone. I can have some bacon. <laughs> but... I'm going to respect somebody's conviction and not try to force my view upon them in, in areas that do not matter. Now, if you come to my house and you tell me I don't believe you need the Holy Ghost, we're going to have a conversation because that's in the Bible. It's black and white. I'm not going to try and force it on you, but I'm going to try to help you understand the Word of God because that's scripturally supported. But if you have a personal conviction, I know you can go back in time and there were different opinions about different manners of clothing. Let me give you one example. This is an example of how sometimes principles are applied to certain situations, but then that application dates. Okay? 
in the USA in the 60s and 70s during the, the hippie era and that kind of the, all that that went on with that culture, a lot of churches took a stand against men having beards. They preached that men should not have a beard because it was associated with that what was happening in their culture. A lot of the, the free love and the hippie movement, they all had long hair and long beards. And so a lot of pastors said, because we don't want to be associated with them, we, we, we believe our men should not wear beards. Now, you can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says, thou shalt not have a beard. But they were taking an application of Scripture, and there are, there are verses of Scripture such as you should abstain from the appearance of evil, about, you know, let your light be light and not mix with darkness. And you can take those principles and you could apply that. But nowadays, that, that particular social movement has come and gone. So that application is not really relevant. So if you want to grow a beard, that's fine. If your wife will let you grow a beard, my wife won't let me grow one. But if you want to go ahead and grow a beard, maybe talk to your wife first. But scripturally, I can't say there's anything wrong with that. So there are principles that are applied to certain situations. Another one, we're not doing too bad for time. When I was a kid, particularly uh, primary school kind of age, it was normal for our church, not my local church, but our organization, to teach that Christians shouldn't go to movie theaters. The reason for that was that most of the material that was being shown in movie theaters was inappropriate for Christians to watch. And so if it was back then, Lord help us now. And secondly, there was a lot of behavior that went on between young couples in movie theaters that also wasn't appropriate for Christians. That was a principle that was applied to a situation. But then in the 1980s, I think it was, we had the explosion of home video. Everybody, some people bought VHS, some people bought Betamax. If you bought Betamax, you went out of the market pretty soon. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some young people are like, what? <laughs> but suddenly, what previously could only be viewed in the theatre could be watched in your lounge room. And a family friend of ours down the street jumped into that business and in the, a very short period of time had three video rental stores. And so suddenly, there was another variable in the equation that we had to apply the principle to. Because I didn't go to the movie theaters, Pastor. No, I've never gone to the movies. But in my lounge room on the weekend, I had a movie marathon of slasher movies and horror flicks and all kinds of stuff I shouldn't be watching. Because the, the application of the principle went out of date. And now you can watch a movie on your phone. You can watch it on your iPad. You can watch it on your computer. You can watch it on just about any wireless device there is on the planet. And so... I still think it's a good practice to try to avoid movie theaters. I do. That's, that's my personal conviction. You won't hear me tell you you should never go to a movie theater. But the thing is, 98% of what's shown is not suitable for Christians to watch. So for me, my personal conviction is just it's just easy not to go. That's my conviction. Am I saying I've never been? No, I have. I have. I've gone maybe with the kids on occasion. But still don't feel right about it. So if you want to talk to me about that afterwards, you can. But... The principle now is what we talked about before. We have to apply a principle to all forms of media because the world has changed. The world is variable. It's constantly changing. But the principles of God's Word have to remain constant. And that's why in a church we have to be able to say, this is how you deal with this situation. You know, there used to be no such thing as social media. That's completely changed our society or anti-social media, depending on how you look at it. But... And so we have to go, all right, how do the principles of God's Word apply to that? What do I do in that situation? And, the, and so that's our principles 
are constantly being applied. So in conclusion, there are three sources where we get our constants from. The commandments of the Word of God, from the man of God, and from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's stand together this morning.